everyone, welcome back to another episode of College and Career Coffee Chats with your host, Delicia Alarcón, your resident Haitia and grad school fairy godmother with some cafecito. Always. I hope you grab your café, your water, your tea, your mate, your wine, if it's after hours, to listen in on this conversation about college and career, following your bliss, figuring out what you want to do in life, eliminating the gatekeeping and the fancy big words that we use in higher education and corporate settings to really gatekeep first-gen and BIPOC individuals. So I hope this podcast serves as a space where you feel heard, seen, and safe to have all these conversations and ask all the hard questions and the big questions. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our college and career coffee chats. I'm so, so excited to have Dr. Andrea and Hunt today. She is an associate professor of sociology and director of the Mitchell West Center for Social Inclusion and special assistant to the vice president for diversity, equity, and inclusion at the University of North Alabama. Her teaching, research, and service all focus on youth identity development, creating inclusive environments, civic engagement, trauma-informed practices, and community development. She has been awarded the 2020 George Merida Huckaba Professorship of Arts and Sciences at UNA for two of her research projects addressing trauma-informed teaching and the psychological capital of first-generation students. She works with local schools, diversion programs, and juvenile detention centers to assist youth and career development. She is a violence prevention educator and has delivered trainings on campus and in the community. She has led professional development workshops for teachers and students across the nation. I am so excited to have Andrea here with us today. We are gonna have such a great conversation. We met a couple weeks ago through a Facebook group for first-generation students and professionals, and we just had a fabulous conversation about all her life experiences. And we're like, we need to connect. We need to tell students about this because as you heard in her bio, she has a wealth of knowledge and congratulations on your award this year. Thank you so much. So before we begin and let her take the lead on this conversation, we're gonna cheers our little coffee today. (laughs) So if you hear us slurping or like a cup pounding the table, that's what it is. Like I said, previously, bring your coffee, bring your tea, bring your water, your whatever your beverage of choice is to listen in on this chat, because you're going to get a lot of nuggets of wisdom today. Andrea's story is truly, truly inspiring. So to kick us off, I want to ask, what does first generation mean to you outside of the definition that we hear in higher education or in the textbooks? Uh, we both are um, our higher education professionals. So we we kind of toss this term around a lot in committee meetings or with students um, in reports that we write. Um, but outside of all of that, what does it mean to you? Um, I, you know, we again, like you said, we've got all of those definitions out there. And so we know, you know, how our university frames it and some of those expanding definitions. I think for me, I, I didn't even know what being a first generation student meant. Uh, I didn't even know there was kind of this concept out there. And so when I um, kind of got my act together and transferred and was trying to navigate, uh, you know, a, a university life, I really didn't know how to do any of that. And so when I think about that first, that, that, that idea of first generation, you know, I really think about how students are navigating institutions and bureaucracies and the social and cultural capital that we bring into those settings and the social and cultural capital that we need to acquire and gain while we're in those settings to help us navigate that. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really interesting too at at my institution as I am working more with international students, Mm. I'm really encompassing international students in our expanding definitions of first generation students um, because they may have parents that have graduated college or attended Mm. college in their home countries, 
but they're in the United States navigating a different educational system, um, which is very, very different. And so, you know, I, I really appreciate um, Latanya Miles and other folks that are involved in the first generation work, having us really think about those, those definitions mm -hmm. and really expanding them so that we are including our international students as well. I absolutely love that because as a first generation uh, student from, my parents are from Paraguay, my mom attended college in Paraguay. So when I was going through the system here, I was like, well, I'm still first gen because I don't really understand what's going on here. And we did all the workshops and all the, um, I was, it was like the uh, 2010 when I graduated. So there was no YouTube, there was no real like resources, Instagram online that there is now. So we really had to go to these in-person workshops to get all the information about FAFSA. And so it was very different from the uh, entry uh, exam like it is in Paraguay. So I love that expansion of international students who are now here and might have parents who graduated, but here it's totally different. Yeah, and I recently was talking with one of the students that I'm working with that's going to intern with me next semester, and he was even um, kind of thinking of himself as a like quasi first gen student because his parents went to a community college um, and followed more of a technical route. And as he transferred, you know, and went to a university of uh, not really understanding that experience and his parents not really helping him, not knowing how to help him navigate that different kind of university experience. And so he said, you know, I'm technically, you know, maybe not classified as a first generation student, but I feel like a first generation mm. student um, because my parents haven't had those same experiences and haven't been able to really help me navigate in the way that if maybe your parents had those similar, you know, college or university level experiences. Yeah, absolutely. The difference between a four year institution and what does that track look like in our mm -hmm. two year and then transferring. Um, but I also want to touch upon the, um, the nonlinear path of college, because I, I hear this myth a lot about community colleges and that it might not be the best or um, it's under, um, uh, under resource. And in many ways, that's not very true. Um, my brother went to community college and he did more of a technical degree. So his experience is different than mine. And we're always talking about this myth of community colleges that I hear. Um, and I know from your background, you started at a community mm -hmm. college. So I really want to touch upon that kind of nonlinear path, but also like it's not two years and four years and six. And um, you really have to navigate what's best for you. Yeah, you know, we uh, so I grew up in a town um, with a community college right there. And um, in high school, I was able my senior year to take two classes over at our community college. And I know now this idea of early college is just expanded so much and students are leaving <laughs> high school, you know, as a sophomore in college. And so those opportunities have really expanded. Um, for me that, you know, those opportunities were really just starting to develop. This was in uh, the, the mid to late nineties. And so those opportunities of, you know, dual credit and, you know, leaving your campus and going over to the college, that those were really just starting in my area. And so I started, you know, I had some classes in high school that I got uh, college credit for. And as I was, you know, in my senior year, I was like, oh, I'm going to go over and take, you know, this creative writing and, and literature. And, oh, it just blew my mind because there was people from all over the place that were right there in my hometown. Um, my community college has, uh, it's a residential campus, um, had uh, quite a few different athletic teams. And so we really um, attracted students from all over the nation to southeastern Kansas, which for a lot of people is like, how am I going to end up in the middle of the United States, um, you know, in this, you know, kind of somewhat rural area. And the community college really did that. Um, for, for myself, you know, I didn't really know about applying to other schools. And so I just kind of thought, well, this is going to be the pathway for, for me anyway. And so was able to start there and I moved out and I was living in an apartment and did really terribly. 
and was ready to, you know, get out of my mom's house and, you know, to be on my own because I was so grown. And um, so started out with with nothing and then realized trying to um, you know, t- take this full load and be out on my own and manage all of that and work was really difficult. And so I moved back in with my mom and you know, all along the way throughout my my community college experience, I was dealing with a lot of addiction as well. And so, you know, back then, you know, you could go register for class, you stood in a line, you know, and you registered for classes. And, you know, the tuition was really, really affordable. So I was able to go with my tip money that I made from waiting tables and, you know, pay for tuition. And, so the process was just very different than it, than it is now. But my experiences there was really what kept me above water a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so what kept me grounded in trying to work towards some kind of um, kind of pathway out of where I was at. And at times I just really would, would not be able to manage it all and would have to take a semester off. And then mm-hmm. I would kind of get it back together and I would come back and and take another class. And I can remember though, you know, my brother is is two years behind me and, you know, I was still, you know, in my, you know, like 20 trying to get it back together. And, and, you know, everybody in his grade had graduated and some of them Mm -hmm. were at the community college. And I can remember thinking, oh, this is miserable. Like all these people that, you know, graduated behind me, I'm now in class with and I'm not where I should be um, where other people that I graduated high school with are at. And then I started thinking, you know, that, that people have all kinds of resources that they bring into those experiences. And some people had clear pathways out of my hometown. And my pathway just was filled with, with other experiences. And mm-hmm. so my timeline went really out the window. And so I spent, you know, if you look at my transcript, you know, I started community college, you know, as a high school student. And so it appears like I was there much longer, but I was there for for many, many years. And my Mm -hmm. brother went to the community college and, you know, he was able to to get a job and, you know, working with the grounds crew. And, you know, so he had, you know, all of these kind of other opportunity, work opportunities and stuff. And, you know, without that community college, I would have never been able to go to college at all um, because I wasn't able to leave my hometown. I didn't really have my life in a in a place where I could leave. Um, I, I, you know, didn't know about how to apply at other schools. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as my life would kind of dip down into a a kind of a bad place, you know, I was able to hold on to the fact that, oh, I've got this class to go to. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of really kept me working towards that, that path. And then it was, you know, years later in 2000, I got a letter from the community college that said, you've taken enough classes that you have graduated with an associate's degree because it really wasn't that advising process either. You know, you didn't really work with an advisor. You just followed your catalog. And so I was just taking classes and I wasn't really working towards anything in particular. And then I thought, this is a sign. This is a sign that I, that, that I've really, I've accomplished something here and that now maybe I have some things under my belt a little bit in terms of just kind of understanding the process a little bit more and I can transfer and go someplace else. But I am so very grateful um, to the community college in my hometown and those experiences um, because without that, I wouldn't have been able to do any of the courses. And I think about that now to the role of community colleges in, in our, in our just all across the United States, how they respond to the community need. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they are responsive to, you know, the, the changing economy. They mm-hmm. are developing programs that really appeal to a wide range of folks. And so even people who don't want to follow that traditional university pathway, there's still so many opportunities to gain skills that you need to be competitive in the job market. And so I will always, always be grateful to our community college systems because they serve such a vital need um, for so many of our communities. Absolutely. And I, I haven't seen the actual statistics for what it looks like this year, but 
the community college statistics for diversity are probably the highest in the nations uh, in the nation. So I think that's really um, in a good uh, indicator of what you said, meeting the needs of the community, expanding those opportunities. And even when I moved back home in 2015-16, after teach, I did Teach for America in South Carolina, I was trying to stay, my, stay busy and I looked into the community college to see what um, offerings they had, just to keep learning, maybe take one class. And they actually had a grant program to get a SMART certification for Serve Safe and um, another FDA approved certification in case I wanted to um, maybe start waitressing or do something that um, could make money because this was before the boom of online um, work and freelancing. So it had to be local. And I got the certification for free through this grant. I applied for the program. My brother and I did it together. And I was like, wow, this is the heartbeat of community colleges, really meeting the needs of the community and really um, developing the people around that community so they can bring those skills to the um, areas that they live in. I was like, wow, that was my entry point to really understanding more about community colleges because I went to a traditional four-year institution but now I really, really tell students, if you really don't know what you want to major in or have some uh, fam familial things going on or really can't keep your head above water, I would really recommend community college and not as a, like a backup, but more of like a first choice. Mm -hmm. This And they will really support you now with academic advising. They have really robust advising programming. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that's really overlooked for some students that maybe want to jump to four year and they may not be emotionally ready and that's okay. Okay. Yeah, we have a, a community college uh, where I'm at and then another community college that um, is in um, another county right next to us. And that community college has, you know, over 10,000 students. You know, so we, I think sometimes we think about community college as like these small little right. um, campuses, but, you know, they are really expansive mm -hmm. and are, again, have so many different opportunities. And so, you know, wherever you're at in that, your educational journey, um, you know, community colleges are a great place to start, to go back to if you're wanting mm -hmm. to enhance skills. And, you know, I, re I was recently doing a talk um uh, a couple of weeks ago and a woman came up to me afterwards and said that she was, she was about my age. She had been clean and sober for a couple of years and was going to school for the first time mm -hmm. and was taking one class at our local community college. And I, I mean, I, I'm even just like overwhelmed thinking about yeah. it because I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, somebody like her um, may be really overwhelmed you know, going into a, a university, you know, she's a non-traditional student that has had all kinds of different experiences um, throughout her life. And so having an opportunity to start her education um, in an environment where she feels like, okay, this is going to be um, going to be feel a little more welcoming to me and in, in, mm -hmm. in my experiences and not that universities aren't, um, right. but that she feels like that's going to help her kind of get started a little bit easier. And I thought, wow, what an amazing uh, opportunity. And for those folks that are working at community colleges, what an amazing mm -hmm. experience to share in people's journeys um, that are, that are, have those kinds of life stories. I mean, so it's something mm -hmm. just really special, I think, that we often overlook. Absolutely. And I think that adds to what you said earlier about first-gen students of someone's cultural capital um, and what they bring to later on in their maybe professional capacity or um, their environment in work or life or community building. Um, so I want to expand what does uh, cultural um, capital mean for you and how do you utilize it to explain it to students? Because I used that in a presentation, I think last week, and students um, kept asking me, what does that mean? How does that play out? And I, and I thought it was something that um, students understood immediately, but I got to take it back and <laughs> maybe define that yeah. uh, for them. So uh, I love that you brought it up so we can chat about it. 
Yeah. So when I am thinking about cultural capital and teaching about cultural capital, um, especially to my intro to sociology students, mm -hmm. really thinking about, you know, just that idea of culture, of understanding, you know, norms, values, practices, and beliefs. And when we know that, and we know that about different kinds of settings, that it gives us capital. Um, and it lets us navigate different settings in different ways. And so sometimes we may be in settings where we don't really pick up on cues or we're not able to read the, the setting to know, okay, this is, this is what is expected in terms of how I dress and, and how I carry myself. And so having that cultural capital lets you really just navigate different settings uh, in different ways. And so I'll give a, an experience or example of this. Um, so when I transferred to my four-year university, um, really just didn't have a lot of professional job experiences. I had waited tables really um, most of my life or cleaned um, building, you know, offices. And so that's really what my experiences were. And so I qualified um, for a, you know, work study position. Mm -hmm. And I uh, really didn't know what that was. I didn't even know that was such a thing um, that you could work on campus. Mm -hmm. And so I had started at a, a four-year university, which had just transitioned to a four-year university. So when I started um, in, what was that, 2000, uh, Roger State University had just transitioned from a junior college to a four-year school. And there was only 1,200 students. And so I thought, well, this is perfect for me because I don't really know what I'm doing, doing here. Um, and you know, there's going to be a lot of close contact and people are going to really kind of help me navigate through this. And so I um, was given a job um, in one of the vice president's offices. And, um, you know, so I, I didn't really have the clothes to wear. And I, you know, came out of environments where, um, you know, everybody around me really just was kind of covered in tattoos. I have a ton of tattoos. My hair was um, bright orange at the time. And so I had a few kind of dress clothes and um, that's kind of what I wore. And it, it was obvious that everybody in the office was just kind of staring at me. And, and, and I, I, I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't yeah. know. And, um, you know, later on, somebody had said, you know, well, we're going to transfer you over to student rec. And I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be so much more laid back and comfortable anyway. <laughs> but I, I didn't really have, um, I didn't have this knowledge of what in this setting, what is the expectation um, when you're working in that setting. And, you know, I, I think it, it is important today, you know, I have a lot of conversations with my students about just this mm -hmm. idea of professionalism and mm -hmm. that we do need to challenge that a little bit, right. you know, because we tend to think that people need to conform to this certain appearance and people mm -hmm. need to look a particular way. But mm -hmm. I realized in that moment that there was a lot that I didn't know about navigating um, some of these different levels and having contact with people that are in those different positions of authority and power at the institution. And so that was a really quick lesson for me that, wow, I need to, I, I didn't even understand just the layers of positions at an institution. And so I was really grateful to be transferred over to student rec. Um, where I was able to meet people that could help me navigate that, that I could ask questions about like, well, what does that office even do, you know, <laughs> and, and how, you know, why was I not, why didn't they want me to work over there, you know, right. and so I, I didn't, I didn't have some of that kind of hidden curriculum, I didn't have some of that behind the right. scenes information um, that would have helped me really kind of understand and navigate uh, that experience a little bit easier. Right. I, I see um, kind of or I'm thinking of two things from that experience. Number one is, um, yes, we don't know what we don't know and is what we work a lot with our students to teach them. Um, but I'm also curious, like, why didn't anyone in that office take the time yeah. to teach you for 10, 20 minutes? I think you would have gotten it that, hey, these are the expectations in this office. Um, to where the, this kind of I mean, I, working in higher ed, we know the ivory tower exists and the yeah hierarchical um, understandings and hidden rules of working maybe in the president's office. Um, so I think that's a missed opportunity for an educator in that space yeah. 
to really teach you. And of course, we're going to challenge on the other side of diversity and equity is what do these cultural norms actually mean? Are they mm -hmm. um, oppressive in many ways? Yes, we can talk about that too. But in conjunction with dismantling and challenging that, we have to also um, understand what it is first. Um, and I think that's really a missed opportunity that, um, I mean, you eventually learn from your experience in rec, it sounds like. Um, but I think as an educator from the lens of maybe if we were in those positions of power, I think I would have taken the time to t teach a student and say, hey, this is the expectation here. We can have a conversation around maybe it's oppressive in many ways. However, right now, today, if you want to work here, this is how it's going to look like. I don't know um, what your thoughts are on any of that. Yeah, and you know, nobody had ever kind of taken me aside and said, hey, this is kind of the, the expectation. And I was able to look around and see, okay, well, yeah. everybody is wearing, but I don't, I don't have the money for that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know where do you get that kind of stuff, <laughs> right. and, you know, and, and also I'm just, you know, my background and, you know, it was like, I also don't want to wear that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I think it would have been, again, a great opportunity, like you said, to really kind of talk about what are the expectations in different environments. And, um, you know, as a student, this is a great opportunity for you to see um, what these offices do and the different expectations that are in those offices. Um, and, and I really didn't get a lot of that till I was a part of our TRIO program, Student Support Services, um, which, oh my gosh, that just, you know, that experience changed my life um, because there was so much of that um, behind the scenes information that was given to me um, as, as somebody who was using those services. And so, you know, our student support services director, Tim Fernandez um, and Marsh Howard were amazing in being able to just give me that, that information and knowledge about mm -hmm. what, what goes on at a university, who are the different people here. Um, and so I was able to, you know, really get a network of folks that, mm -hmm. that filled in that social capital piece of letting mm -hmm. me know about, you know, opportunities and resources, but also was able to help in that cultural capital piece that I was able to kind of think about the different experiences that I'm in. Um, how do we navigate those experiences? I mean, they took us, I remember going to, you know, our Broadway play, they took us to a play yeah. over in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I yeah. thought, I've never, I've never been to anything like this, you know, and so they use that as an opportunity to think about, okay, this is a different kind of experience, and we are going to dress up and, um, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to go eat someplace that um, is nice. And so being able to have um, kind of some coaching through that process yes. was really, really beneficial. Um, and so I still think about those experiences all the time about, Oh, you know, young me going into those experiences. <laughs> I'm just like so naive about like, what do we do? You know, I haven't, you know, and also just being, you know, so excited about what's going to happen. And, but also having somebody that took the time to coach mm -hmm. me through um, just what are the, what, are, what am I about to experience? Um, you know, what are those expectations? What is this going to mm -hmm. look like? Um, so that I didn't feel like I was walking in um, without the information I needed um, to be able to take full advantage of that opportunity. Absolutely. You mentioned TRIO Student Support Services, and that is our like saving grace. Yes. Um, I was also part of TRIO Student Support Services at my institution and that was like home base for me. Like any yes. question I had, any frustration I felt, any moment I needed to cry with the advisor, I would just run into that office and, and there was always a welcoming environment and feeling I went to predominantly white institutions. So many spaces, though I'm my proximity to whiteness is there, you still feel a lot of cultural mm -hmm. differences. Yeah. Um, and so I would show up there and just ask questions and really be able to be myself 100%. So then I can go out back, I would arm myself with like skills and tools and energy to then go back out and um, kind of show up in the world um, in the academic, the other academic spaces. Um, and they were, we, we had, they had a program for um, people who needed 
um, maybe a blazer or uh, professional clothing to go to interviews. So that's a program that we continue to have even when I work there. Um, to your point about um, maybe you can learn the information you need to be in certain spaces, but then it's do students actually have the money and the the card to go somewhere to buy it or the capability and access to do that. And I think that's a missing piece sometimes we have in the conversation with inclusion is, okay, great, teach them all this info, but how do we get them from point A to point B? And that's where advisors and trio come in to really coach them through that because they can sit there with the clothing, but then they're like, how do I use it? what do yeah. I say? Where do I go? Um, so I love, um, we rep trio here. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I mean, you know, the day that I walked down into the trio office, I thought, oh my gosh, I found my people, my family, you know, because being in, even in the classroom, um, you know, I, I just didn't really know a lot about faculty and their experiences. I, I didn't really understand, you know, the different ranks of faculty and, mm -hmm. And faculty all just seemed really, really scary to me. Uh, my faculty at my community college didn't feel like that. They felt like people. They felt like people, right? Like they just felt like regular people. Right. Um, and because they were dealing with such a, a wide range of students, um, right. you know, students that are, are coming in and out of, you know, wherever they're at in their educational journey. And so when I transferred. You know, there's all all of my faculty had doctor in front of their name, you know, and so I, I really just was so terrified and really didn't necessarily think, well, they're going to understand, you know, my experience. And I had, um, you know, had been struggling with a drug addiction for quite some time. And mm -hmm. um, even the day that I went over to my university to register for classes and meet with um, the chair of that department, I was, you know, was high. And um, mm -hmm. so I thought that there's just no way that they're going to understand the reality of people's lives and their experiences. And, you know, and so I was a little bit older too, um, you know, not, not mm -hmm. older, but I was, I was 22 at the time and I was living on campus and, and that right. was an interesting experience with, <laughs> you know, folks that are just moving right out of, out of their um, parents' house. And, you know, when I walked down though to student support services, again, it was like, you know, it was like all the weight mm -hmm. was gone, all of the, you know, uncertainty. And I thought, oh, okay. There's, there's people here that I can ask questions, you know, too. And I later found out, you know, I can ask those questions to my faculty, um, but that wasn't a place that I naturally just felt like this space is, um, that I belong in this space, you know? Mm -hmm. And I and I did very well academically um, because once I transferred over and, and got out of my hometown and was around, um, a different set of peers and really got connected with student support services. I mean, that was really key to my whole recovery. And mm -hmm. when I tell people that, you know, going to college and, and transferring and going to my little university saved my life. It literally saved my life. I mean, those people um, that I came into contact with the folks in student support services, I mean, they were just key to, helping me go from where I was at to where I needed to be heading. Mm -hmm. um, and without them, I wouldn't have been able to get on the road to where I have kind of now eventually ended up to. And so they're just so key to that. Um, and, and through them, I was able to start realizing, okay, here's how you need to interact with your faculty. And mm -hmm. it's okay to ask them questions. You know, you can mm -hmm. go to their office. <laughs> I, I was just so terrified of all of that. And it really took having some of those more relaxed conversations mm -hmm. with the folks in student support services to start feeling like, well, maybe I do belong here. Like mm -hmm. maybe this, maybe I can be in this space. Um, but without them, I probably wouldn't have felt that until much, much later. And so, you know, it, I think it's just really important for us as we are working with first generation students to really think about 
um, the kinds of folks that they need to come into contact with across campus and those really important um, support roles that so many of our colleagues provide across campus. You know, sometimes when we think about mentoring, we often think about, you know, the faculty student mentoring relationship and we privilege that relationship. Um, but I was closer to the folks that worked in food service at my institution, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, they're the people that I saw every day. They're the people that I talked to. I mean, because I work those job, those kinds of jobs. Right, right. And, you know, and so that's, that's who I knew. That's who, you know, I saw in the morning. That's who I talked to. You know, and so all the other support staff on campus was, again, felt much closer to me and my experience than mm -hmm. what faculty did. Um, and, you know, the folks in student support services are the ones that really helped me, um, you know, be, learn about the, you know, the AmeriCorps um, program mm -hmm. and um, was able to learn about that so that I could come out of my undergraduate um, program with no debt. And, you mm -hmm. know, without them, I just wouldn't have known about these other experiences. Absolutely. That kind of bridge and that buffer to yeah. support you along the way. And I love the um, connection to the people on campus that you really connect yeah. with, like um, the support staff and the service staff. Um, they were I, I was a building manager on campus. That was my work study job. So I would close the building and I would open it if it was early in the morning. So then uh, all the support staffs people would yeah. be there. And those are the people I saw every day and talked to them. And whenever my meal plan ran out, they got me. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and mm -hmm. those are kind of the relationships, those smiles that you saw every day that kept you go going. And um, the the cleaning people on campus, right? Yes. Mostly were were Hispanic and so I spoke Spanish to them and and told them um, he supported them through their uh, when their children wanted to apply yeah. to campus they would ask me questions and I would direct them to people on campus and they were like wow I can talk to you I was like of course I'm a student I'm we can speak yeah. Spanish together like they felt they could talk to me in that way so those networks and connections are um, my favorites that I bring from my four my four-year experience so I love that. Yeah, and my, even today, you know, my office is located in a residence hall, and I am in the, the same building as our global learning community, and so when I get to campus, uh, you know, I, I get to campus very early, so I'm, you know, greeted by some of our grounds folks that are, mm -hmm. you know, outside picking up from the night before. I'm greeted by our cleaning crew. Um, and so love to be able just to have, even now, you know, even after graduating and, and, you know, being an associate professor, a lot of times, you know, the, the support staff are, are folks that I still feel a lot more comfort with and a mm -hmm. lot more kindred spirits with. And I, I eat over, um, you know, in our main market, which is where students eat at. And so, <laughs> you know, I'm, you know. I know all those folks and I, you know, it's like, you know, people start to know you and they greet you and they know what you like and they'll give you an extra scoop of, you know, this. And, and, and it reminds me so much of my undergraduate experience when people would know that, you know, like in the, the food services that, you know, I wasn't able to go home. And, you know, so again, making sure that, you know, I, you know, had a little bit of extra food or when I came to, you know, they knew what I liked for breakfast, you know, and so it's that, that attention to mm -hmm. students and their kind of daily habits and rituals mm -hmm. that they, you know, take part in that a lot of our support staff really know because they're, mm -hmm. they're with students so much and um, they're taking care of all of our buildings and all of our outside spaces. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and it's just so important for us, no matter where you're at in the institution, um, mm -hmm. to really think about, um, all of the people that come into contact with students and then mm -hmm. all of those folks serve vital roles in creating kind of that social and cultural capital for students. You know, my, my brother, he worked in grounds and, you know, he was mm -hmm. cutting grass with, you know, all the grounds crew at the community college and then would like run over to class, <laughs> you know, but he still felt so much more comfort with a lot of the, the grounds crew because that's who he worked with and that's kind of who he right. spent time with. Absolutely, that kindred spirit that you find in whatever capacity you may be in, you still find those kindred spirits. And uh, one thing that I thought of when you were talking about um, 
how uh, Trio and being at, uh, with these people supported you through your recovery. I'm thinking of my students that they were terrified to walk to the mental health um, mm -hmm. counselors on campus. So we would walk up the hill together. And if yes. it was snowing or raining, I would drive them up, wait for them for their session and then drive back down to Trio um, or walk with them to financial aid if they didn't mm -hmm. want to go talk to their advisor, but they had a pending payment or a pending something or a paper was missing and kind of walk them through that, be that introduction, or they were terrified to talk to their professor. So I would walk them over, let's go talk to them. You have to talk about this paper, this grade, and kind of do an intro and then um, kind of be that buffer room. And they, I think it's really something powerful for them to know that you're standing outside waiting yeah. for them. Like that physical presence was a lot of the work I did, right? I was constantly walking around campus or driving them places to make sure they were getting what they needed because we served as that advocacy with them. Yeah, and that's just such an important part of, I think, the work that we do on campus for students is that when students identify somebody as, you know, that safe space, you know, you, you kind of end up vouching for these other programs and you serve as the build, the, you know, you're building that bridge um, for the student to those other services and those other folks. And a lot of times, you know, once they've identified, you know, somebody on campus, you know, like a go-to, somebody that they're hanging out in their office. And, you know, I had, you know, student support services to do that in between classes, could just go mm -hmm. hang out and, <laughs> You know, it was a regular down there, and I had those folks to be able to ask questions to, and then they were able to navigate, um, help me navigate those processes and help me, you know, meet other people or who do I need to go talk to about this and what could give me a very specific name so that I didn't wow. feel like I was just kind of walking around campus. And so I really feel like because people did that for me, I have a social responsibility mm -hmm. to do that for other students that, mm -hmm. you know, they'll email me and say, well, who do I need to talk to in the bookstore about this? And I'm like, okay, let me look. Okay. Okay. You need to go talk to so-and-so. Um, because sometimes that just is, it, it makes you feel a little more confident going into right. a space when you know exactly who you need to talk to. And so even, you know, even now with my students, you know, I get messages, you know, through Instagram, you know, hey, you know, who is this person or what is what do I need to do about this? And a lot of times it's because students feel comfortable um, with a, a handful of folks on campus mm -hmm. and they need help kind of navigating and and learning about the other resources and the other folks on campus. And so I tell right people all the time, like, you don't have to, you know, you're not their counselor, you don't have to be everything to them. But right. they are going to come to you to maybe find out what are the other resources. And so, like you said, walking somebody over to counseling, mm -hmm. that helps really build that bridge with those other resources. And then once that that bridge has been built, then that expands their social mm -hmm. network, then they have that resource now in their toolkit. Absolutely. That name, like just knowing a name and who to, who to look for is just so important because you can walk into the financial aid office and there's uh, one or two uh, support staff at the front or and then the offices are in the back and you have to go through loopholes to make sure yes. that you're getting to the right person. So it's very intimidating, um, not just financial aid, but that's the one that came to mind. Yes, uh, yes. <laughs> That's it can, <laughs> yeah, it can be very intimidating of knowing, you know, what office do I even need to go to? Do yeah. I go to the registrar's office or financial aid right. or, or the bursar? You know, or bursar, like where am I supposed to go? And so sometimes just being able to tell a student, this is the office you need to go to. Because when you have to go from office to office, there's so much frustration that builds up. And and then if, if you're first gen and you're kind of navigating these spaces, I think sometimes then there's some feelings of like, why don't I know where to go? And uh, how, how come this is so frustrating? How come this is so difficult to find this information? And then that starts really, um, you know, having its toll on your mental health, on mm -hmm. your, your feelings of confidence, just being in that space and whether you feel like, you know, I'm supposed to be here or I'm not. And so those things can really, you know, be a cumulative effect that on top of maybe 
not having, you know, access to some financial resources or not meeting people or, or struggling academically, then on top of all of that, then not knowing where to go, you know, so it creates just a, a, a whole accumulation of experiences that may tell a student, mm, maybe this space isn't for you. Um, and that's not the case, right? It's, right. Just, it's, it's just needing to know you know, who are the resources? Where do I need to go? And, and, you know, I think a lot of times we don't think about that cumulative effect that it can have on students. Right. Your start self doubt comes in, mm -hmm. self worth, you go down this rabbit hole and you just spiral um, until someone's like, no, wait, you do belong. You do need to go. Yeah. It's just a matter of knowing this, this, and this. Um, what do you think has been your, our transition from trio and this uh, saving grace in your journey to recovery to be where you're at today in associate professor in sociology, diversity and inclusion work um, at a university and have this doctor in front of your name. I think that's important to talk about because <laughs> a PhD is no joke, my friends. <laughs> and we, we've heard her story from the beginning and I want this to serve as inspiration to students and wherever you're at, wherever you're listening, in there is I think a space to come out of um, that darkness that I know I, I, I haven't personally suffered from addiction but um, there are days when I feel sad or not um, at my best so how do um, we navigate that and, and especially now with the crisis going on in the world um, I think mental health issues are rising with students and so I, I want to talk a little bit about mental health and that component of all of that yeah so, I mean, there's sometimes I still today think, oh my gosh, I get to do this. <laughs> this is my job. Oh my gosh, how crazy is this that I get to come on campus and I get to do this work with students and um, get to serve my community and get to help um, students and faculty and staff in so many ways. Um, I think for me, you know, part of what really helped me kind of come through that time um, was, you know, not only the, the support folks that I found, but also finding an area of study that um, helped me make sense of my own life. And, you know, I was originally studying psychology, and then I took a sociology class, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is giving me you know, the tools and concepts to be able to analyze and reflect on mm -hmm. my own life. And, you know, then I thought, I'm just learning stuff. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Ah, you know, and what that feels like, you know, when you have, um, you know, struggled with addiction and you don't, you know, a substance really has kind of control over the way that you think and the way that you feel and you are able to come out of that and to be able to think clearly and to feel like you're learning something. Um, was the most amazing experience that I had ever had. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is, you know, a time for me just to take this all in and to learn and learn. And, and the road wasn't easy. I mean, there was times right. that, um, you know, I, I did kind of go back into some depths. I struggled with an eating disorder during my master's program. Uh, I had great people around me, though, that mm -hmm. uh, were able to really kind of help me out of that and to kind of bring some awareness to you know, Andrea, hey, I think this is, there's something going on. Are you okay? Mm -hmm. um, and still, again, kind of struggling with addiction. And I, I really think for me, having, having something that I was working towards, even though there were bumps along the way and there were like right. huge dips, right? I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, a little bump. There's like, oh, this, this like setback um, of knowing that you know, I felt what it is like to learn something and to feel like you're moving towards your purpose. Um, because right. I also knew what it was like for many years to not have a purpose, mm -hmm. um, to feel like there was nothing, there was nothing mm -hmm. for me. And so going to college was what helped me. Now that may be different for other, other people, you know, and that my major in sociology is what helped me. And for other people, it may be something different if you're creative, right. you know, being in the arts or um, if, you know, you find your, your, your place in engineering or right. business or in nursing of knowing like, ah, oh, this is, <laughs> this is it. This is my jam. This is like, this is the thing that I want to do. Um, it, it just like those light bulbs go off in a, in a different way. And so I'm a big proponent for, um, 
let other people help. Yes. Right? I mean, let other people help. I tried to do so much really on my own and not let people in because I thought if I let them in, they're going to know about, you know, about my story. And then you start realizing that your story is what makes you you. Um, your story is important. All of our stories yeah. are important. Um, and we need other people. We need other people. Yeah. It is, you know, it, it doesn't make you less strong um, to, to need some assistance. And this journey can be really lonely by ourselves, you know? <laughs> and so having some other people and reaching out to folks, I think was really important. And, you know, I was able to take advantage of, you know, not only health services that came with being in college, um, but right. mental health services that I had never had access to um, prior to coming to college thought, oh, there's this, I can use these services. And so, you know, part of college is not only the academic piece, but really starting to think about ourselves as, as a whole person and right. our, you know, our, our, our mental health care, you know, establishing self-care patterns, um, our physical care, and there's resources on campuses that are really there to help provide those things. And so I think it's important for students as, you know, life is not just this like easy um, <laughs> path that there's going to be things that happen along the way. Like right now we're dealing with COVID and a lot of people feel really isolated. Um, there's there's campus supports to to help you navigate that. And so again, you know, I think I just always try to encourage students and, and other people, we use those supports. There's there's nothing we have to start normalizing that we we need we need assistance at times and there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely demystifying uh, mental health services and that we do need people to support us along the way and that it's actually strength that uh, yes. it's a strength tool or a strength characteristic that you can that you ask for help. Um, yes. And I think that's a, a hard lesson for uh, women and especially mm -hmm. Latina women as I identify uh, we're raised, I'm first born, so we're raised to be the strong, independent, take care of everyone kind of mentality. And it's like, wait a minute, what about um, our needs and where we sit in all of that? Yes, we can take care of others, but how do we take care of ourselves and really normalize knowing how to do that and learning how to do that and asking the right people for that supports, I think, um, is a lifelong lesson. Like you mentioned, yeah. there's obstacles, there's dips, there's valleys, there's mountains, yes. and then we can go back down the rabbit hole. And yeah. um, I think that's something important that students who graduate college, um, there's this joke of like, oh man, adulting is so hard. It's because we kind of have this romanticized view that once we graduate, like we're good. <laughs> <laughs> we're not no and that job search process can be yeah. very difficult you know I, I've seen a lot of students who it's like oh I can't wait to get to that point of graduating but then now I am going to graduate and this support network and what I've had access to is not going to be here and you know am I going to be able to do what, what I've been trained to do in, in a, you know, career environment. And, you know, I think for a lot of first gen folks, there's this, you know, feeling of being an imposter when we're in higher education spaces and then feeling like that when you go into your career as well of like, Oh my God, you know? And so even for me in my career now in higher education, I'm like, am I supposed to be here? <laughs> like, how did this happen? Is this a joke? Am I going to wake up and they're going to tell me, no, like you, you don't belong in this space. And cause I really, I still really struggle with that of um, knowing that, um, you know, this is the career that is, is right for me right now. And this is where I'm, I'm going down that path um, and knowing that I'm walking in my purpose and I'm supposed to be here, but there's still times that I struggle with, you know, am I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'm doing this right. Um, you know, and, and I still look for mentors, you know, right. even now, you know, I'm yeah. 42 and I'm like, I need a mentor. I need somebody to, to help me kind of navigate this just to give me some of that, that cultural capital that yeah. sometimes I still feel like I'm missing. And, 
Um, sometimes still, I, you know, I kind of, you know, push back on this idea of, you know, professionalism and, you know, right. sometimes that kind of coded language and, you know, so I kind of push back on that. And so then at times I feel like, oh, I don't know, I don't look like I belong in, in this space at times. And so, um, you know, there's still some of that that comes up. And I think for a lot of first gen students, even as they transition into their careers, mm-hmm. you know, as, as first generation professionals now, right? They're professionals. There's yes. still this, this feeling of, oh gosh, you know, somebody's going to catch on that, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe I don't know what I'm doing, you know? So that's a real normal feeling. I think that a lot of people have, but we need to, again, normalize that, um, it's okay to feel unsure. It's okay to, mm-hmm. um, you know, to feel like there's some hesitancy, um, that there's a, a lot of people feel that as they're navigating through those different stages of their life. Absolutely. And it's kind of this myth that first generation leaves you when you graduate college and this like retention space is like, yes, we got them to graduate. Now they're all set. And it's like, wait, I still need help. I still need mentors. I, I still need advisors. And this is not true only to first gen. Everyone yeah. needs that. Yeah. But in a specific way to first gen, I think. Um, there's a different layer to that identity that really um, helps you understand that you still need a, a community of people to ask questions and bounce off ideas. And right when you're going to negotiate a salary, maybe your parents oh. have never done that. So you need to get a workshop or talk to someone to arm yourself with the words and the tools on how to do it. Um, and that's a whole other uh, mid, like career mid-level kind of conversation. But um that's something that we do with students is kind of navigating that um, space post-graduation too, if they're coming back to talking to us. Yeah, I think the the post-graduation is really important. You know, if we think about like what you mentioned, the, you know, salary negotiate, I had no idea, you know, even for my first, my faculty job, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm making a salary. Okay, you know, just didn't really know um, you know, how to navigate those negotiations, how, what to think about in terms of what do I negotiate for? Um, and then realizing that, you know, I could have probably pushed a little bit harder um, and that it's okay to like, it's okay to ask for stuff and to know your worth. I mean, I tell students mm-hmm. that all the time, like know your worth, you know, if you've got the skills and the training, know that and own that. And a lot of times, um, people people don't. And then when we start thinking again, just about those different intersections, if we're thinking about, you know, students with disabilities or BIPOC students and that mm-hmm. are also first gen, um, what that looks like after school and navigating those workspaces and advocating um, for themselves and negotiating, um, you know, salaries, there's that extra layer of other identities that go on top of that, mm-hmm. that we've seen. Um, people that are discriminated in the workplace for those identities. And so it can be, there's still a lot of assistance that's needed right. um, af- after graduation. Absolutely. And asking for that support is um, so important. Um, knowing all the things we've chatted about today and imposter syndrome and um, kind of making ourselves feel part of these communities, what it, would you tell your younger self now where you are today i know there's many levels of younger self (laughs) like at different stages um, but any piece that you think um, you would like to tell yourself and anyone listening in whatever age you're at i think any nuggets will work (laughs) yeah i I think the big thing is just really making sure that my younger self knows that like you belong here Mm. Um, because that to me was the the biggest thing i just didn't know did it do i belong here or do i not um and just the fear of walking into a classroom and not knowing anybody and all that self-doubt that really you know kind of comes into your mind and and how that can really take over of you know, just knowing that you belong here, that you are meant to be here. Um, and mm-hmm. then the other thing is just, again, 
um, you know, I reached out um, for student support services once I, you know, transferred. I was a junior, though. Um, mm -hmm. So there was a lot of stuff that happened in those many, many years. I mean, you know, my my two year, you know, community college was like expanded over, you know, many more years than that. Yes. And so, I, you know, I probably would, you know, have told myself, you know, don't date some of those people that you dated. Um, you know, like, don't don't hang out with some of those people that you hung out with that not everybody wants to see you succeed. And so thinking about who you're surrounding yourself with and I didn't really seek out uh, assistance at my community college until my transcript was, you know, all kinds of messed up and, um, you know, really wishing that I would have sought out an advisor. And now advising is so different. It's so built into the experience, which I'm so glad um, because that wasn't necessarily the case um, for many of us that were in college in, in the 90s that, there wasn't necessarily, you know, mandatory advising. You could go register on your own. You didn't <laughs> see an advisor. And, and also, I wish I would have understood about what it means to drop a class um, because I didn't know, right? Because I didn't have an advisor. And so, right. I, you know, I took some, some, you know, Fs along the way and later on learned about repeat and recompute and, you know, being able to repeat a course and, you know, so a lot of the stuff that we do very early on takes us a while to fix that transcript. You know, it's kind of like your credit, right? You know, you make yeah. some mistakes early on and it takes a while to, to fix that. And so, you know, my advice to my younger self would have been, you know, you need to seek assistance from the get go. Don't think <laughs> that you, you know already, you don't know what you're doing here. Um, don't try to navigate this space all on your own, seek that assistance, um, because it, it took me a while to repair um, some of the damage I did to my transcript. Absolutely. So you belong there or here, wherever you are. Um, seek assistance maybe sooner than later um, before the damage maybe is done so you can kind of revamp what you're, where you're at. Um, and I think uh, the, th the common thread in this conversation is that the path is not linear and it's not yes. a plus b equals c it's really a plus z equals d like you just it's different so and that's okay and i think that's something to normalize too is i think students and myself included we put so much pressure to go from a to b to c and it's like wait a minute do i even want c do i even want to get to b um so taking that time and um that will take off a lot of pressure i think it is, and, and you can't care, compare yourself to other people. Right. Your, your path is your path, and there's things that you have to experience because you're going to have to experience that so that you can do whatever is meant for you down the road. And so we have to really own our stories and own what our path is going to be um, and not get caught up in comparing yourself to other people because it's really easy to do that when you started out college with a group of students and um, people are graduating or they feel you feel like they're moving through things a lot quicker or you don't know what your major is and everybody does and you still feel like oh I'm so far behind um, again it's not a linear path this is not a race um, this right. is about you and your story and your experiences and finding the path that you're supposed to be going down. And some people find that a little bit quicker than other people. It just took me a very, very long time um, to really find out what that path was supposed to be. And, you know, I compared myself to other folks of thinking about, oh, they've already graduated or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I'm not where other people are. And now I look back and I think, you know what, I, I took the time that I needed um, and all of that had to happen so that I could be here at this, this place in my life right now. And so now I look back and I, I really think about, oh, all of those things along my journey and my story um, is what really led me to being able to be here in my life at this moment. Um, but I know it's hard when you're in the moment to think about right. that. Um, but yeah, not don't compare yourself, you know, <laughs> you, you will take the time that you need. And, and that is okay. I love that own your story. Don't compare yourself and really navigate your story and your purpose um, 
as you as how you want to show up. I love that. Are there any parting words of advice? I know we talked a lot about great nuggets of wisdom. Mm -hmm. um, are there any parting words? If not, then we um, are so excited to have you, Andrea. And um, I, I'll say where people can find you. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think I have anything else. I just, you know, um, I just wish everybody the best of luck. And, um, you know, we are so proud of all of our first generation students everywhere, um, no matter where you're at in your journey. Um, know that there's people that are out here rooting for you. And we are so very proud of what you're doing with your life. Absolutely. We're rooting for you. We're here for you. Send us an email, send us a LinkedIn message an Instagram DM and we'll um, point you in the right direction if we don't know specifically what works for you, but we'll point you somewhere for sure. So thank you so much, Andrea. This was so fun. I will link all her contact information that she shared with me uh, where you can find her. And if you're on her campus and you hear this, go talk to her. She's a great resource and support um, for students um, at her institution. So thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you. This was amazing. Until the next one, my friends. Well, there you have it, my friends. That is the episode of College and Career Coffee Chats. Make sure you rate, review, subscribe, like, share, tell your friends, tell your dogs, tell your family, tell your coworkers, tell your colleagues, your mentors, anyone you think would find value in this episode and this podcast. And I hope you follow me on Instagram at Delicia D'Alarcon, on TikTok, TikTok Career Coach for some dancing, some free resources on YouTube at Deli Lingo Academy, and you can always check out the website for updates, DeliciaAlarcon.com, for coaching, support, VIP days, mini courses, free resources and guides. Everything's on the website, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. And make sure you join the free Facebook group where we will do trainings and hype each other up in the College and Career Hype Crew on Facebook. All the links are down below. Let me know if you have any questions, concerns, and anything specific you want us to talk about on this podcast, any feedback you have, I'm always here to listen and learn. So until next time, my friends, cheers. See you in the next episode. Ciao.